gospel, we've um, put a pause in the book of Colossians and we've been going through the attributes of God. And uh, we come now to, I believe, the fourth attribute, a fourth or fifth, uh, one of either fourth. Okay, good. Fourth attribute of God. Um, I've been asked to um, speak of the jealousy of God, given that um, I did preach it a few weeks ago in the Impact Conference. And I thought, well, what a, what a beautiful way to end this series uh, by speaking of the jealousy of God, something that probably haven't heard of. And very hard to find a book that speaks of the jealousy of God. In fact, even if you open some books out there that speak of the attributes of God, you will not find this attribute in those books. Um, the jealousy of God. This will be our final attribute that we'll speak of because I am eager to go back to the, the book of Colossians and to preach it verse by verse. Well, it doesn't take a genius to realize that we live in a culture that is relative to the rest of the world that is such a, a rich culture, prosperous. Almost everything is at our fingertips. Well, well, we ought to be thankful to God for this, that's for sure. But the downside of um, living in, in such environment that it makes it so difficult to struggle and resist drowning in the pleasures of this world. I'm sure many of you will agree with me in this. It's not hard for us as Christians to be caught up and be preoccupied with the temporal things and get distracted and lose sight over what is eternal. Right? Or is it just only me? Well, when the world is seducing us with its riches, the question is, how do we resist this glamour? Until, like the Bible says, until blood shed. How do we do that? How do we follow Paul's example when he says in Galatians 6.14, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What should motivate us to live a devoted life? Ensuring that our hearts are hot, white hot for Christ. And our, our eyes are fixed for eternity. In such a way that we could boldly say, He must increase and we must decrease. What should we do? Well, I believe this is it. The jealousy of God. Now, I believe this attribute is like a, a volcano of motivations that burst out passions that lead us to be consecrated to God. Meaning that if you want to be crucified to the world, if you want to nail all worldly desires to the cross, if you want your life to count for eternity, it begins with this. It begins with understanding who God is and more specifically, this very character of God. 
Embracing the jealousy of God will lead you to fling away your worldly desires and it will compel you to live for Christ. I assure you that this is precisely what the scripture says when we understand what it means that God is jealous. I'll prove it to you. Exodus chapter 34 verse 14 says, For you shall not worship any other God. Well, that includes ruling desires, does it not? It includes worldly values and passions. Now, why is that? Why is it that we shall not worship any other God. What is the motivation given to us in this passage? It continues on, it says, For Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. To know that God is jealous will drive away worldly desires. Now, what does it mean that God, whose name is Jealous? What does this mean? You know, in the modern world that we live in, we have uh, parents that give their children names that some, sometimes they like to uh, have names with the letter J. You know, they call their children Jonah or Jamie. I don't know, maybe because it sounds French or something. Something that they like to pronounce. All right, Jack, although Jack is out of fashion now. Um, But in the ancient biblical world, we need to understand that the name of a person describes something about his character. It's not just a a label that is given. Oh, I like that name, Abram, so I'm going to call my son Abram. No, there is something more than that. It's a revelation of who this person is in a word, in a nutshell. And this text tells us that God's name is Jealous. In other words, jealousy is an integral character of God. It's in his essence of who he is. God has been jealous since he's ever been God, outside of time. His name is jealous means that God is eternally, infinitely, unchangeably jealous. Now, when we hear these words, some of us would have their eyebrows just, you know, arch up and they say, what in the world? God is jealous? I mean, isn't this a bad word? I mean, we use it to describe some evil emotion in people's hearts. It's something that we don't want to to have. You know, I don't want to have someone um, who over me, let's say, is jealous. Such a condescending word. Well, it is true that there is a sinful version of jealousy, but It's not really usually the case, believe it or not, in the scripture. In fact, when we see that this word is attached to God, obviously it always has to be good. It's honorable. It's commendable to be jealous. So what does the jealousy of God mean? Let me just give you a quick definition and then we'll continue to unpack this as we continue along. Right. So jealousy, it's a strong desire to protect what is already yours. To keep a relationship exclusively to you. So yes, in one hand, there is a, a sinful jealousy, and that is always rooted in self. It's over-possessive, and it's insecure, and it seeks its own personal gain. It never seeks the glory of God or His kingdom. 
That's in one hand. But when we talk about godly jealousy, what are we talking about? We're talking about an emotion deep within that is rooted in the glory of God. It's stirred when it is God that is dishonored, not self. Let's have a look at some scripture that attest to this attribute. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 24 says, For Yahweh your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And here in this verse we find that consuming fire is directly connected to the jealousy of God. So, as we begin to understand what consuming fire is, we begin to understand what jealousy of God is. So, what is consuming fire? Consuming, it's it's a strong Hebrew word. And it means to, to swallow up. And it speaks of a wild beast that would devour his prey, flesh and bones until there is nothing left. And jealousy tells us that there is something in God that makes him love his subject so much, so intensely, that he's ready to defend it from any assault and to inflict any pain until he retrieves it back. There in the heart of God, in the very core of his being, is an unquenchable red hot flame of holy jealousy. Now what does this mean to unbelievers? Proverbs 27 verse 4 says, Wrath is fierce and anger is a flood, but who can stand before jealousy? It's an argument from lesser to the greater. And what this means here is that if we think that wrath and anger are terrible things, we know nothing of jealousy. Hell is is just but a, a lava out of that volcano of God's jealousy. You know, if, if one would continue to reject Jesus Christ, God is dishonored. God is dishonored. Nahum chapter 1 verse 2, excuse me about this, a jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. Jealousy is like a ferocious lion that watches over God's honor. And if anyone dares to to plunder what belongs to the Almighty, God's jealousy would roar like a thunder. And the fury of His wrath would be awakened. The jealousy of God is like a, a hurricane of blazing fire and it sweeps across history and nations and would burn to the ground anything that stands on its way and it won't rest until God reclaims his honor. That's for unbelievers. And what about for believers? Well, the life is spared by Jesus, so that ain't They don't need to be troubled by the fact that God is jealous. Absolutely not. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2 says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. 
Why? For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. So Paul here is saying that he's, he's got burning passion for Jesus' sake. How come? The exclusive devotion to Jesus is being compromised in his church and it triggered a, a steam-hot emotion of holy zeal within Paul. And this, this is what jealousy, the jealousy of God is. It's, it's like a, a husband that wouldn't share his wife with anyone. So is God in his jealousy. God is jealous, meaning he is so passionately in love with you believers. He fully devotes himself to you and he doesn't want to share you with anyone. Again, just like a faithful husband who loves his wife so dearly, God in his jealousy, he won't negotiate his loved subject to flirt around. He, he won't let her bargain her devotion to him. He won't settle for undivided affection to him. And so we must ask ourselves this sobering question. Are we living our lives in such a way that testifies that we worship a jealous God? Are there areas in our lives that will provoke God to jealousy? As we begin to unravel this attribute, let every heart tremble before the one whose name is jealous. Well, how are we going to unravel this? We're going to look at three different aspects that reveal to us God's jealousy. So we're going to look, number one, God is jealous for his own glory. Number two, God is jealous for his son. And number three, God is jealous for his bride. Let's begin with the first one. God is jealous for his own glory. And as we begin to look at different aspects of God's jealousy, I pray by the end we have a good grasp of this attribute of God. God is jealous for his own glory. In other words, God loves his own glory to be on display. Full stop. This is the one singular purpose in the red hot furnace of God's jealousy that is burning in, in his heart. Above all else, God is passionate for his glory to be on display. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 10, it says, You shall fear only Yahweh, your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods. Any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. Now in this passage, what does it mean to fear only him, to worship him, to follow him? Simply put, it is to live to the glory of God. And if we would ask God, why? Why should we live for your glory. Continuing on in that same passage in verse 15, it says, For Yahweh your God in midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of Yahweh your God will be kindled against you and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. Wow. 
What an intense jealousy. In other words, if anyone would dare to not live to the glory of God, then this God, who is a consuming fire, will turn the guilty ones into ashes. Just wipe them off clean from the face of the earth. Very sobering, is it not? Now we understand that we... Uh, believers in this room belong to the new covenant and we praise God. He will never be wrathful against us. He's never angry with his people. Why? Praise be to God. Jesus absorbed all of God's wrath against his own people. We know this. We understand that. But we need to know that this in no way revokes how much God is jealous over his own glory. Jesus' death on the cross did not diminish one bit of God's internal jealousy over his own glory. So we have to ask that question. How much is God jealous for his glory? Answer, intensely, meaning mightily, exceedingly jealous for his glory to be on display. The world was created. For what purpose? Psalm 19 says it in order to sing to us the glory of God. Adam and Eve, when they were created, in whose image were they created? God's image. And Ephesians 1, 6 tells us that even to the end of the ages, God chose to redeem people. Why? To the praise of his glory. And there is nothing that drives God to move one inch in this world, whether to save or to condemn, to redeem or to kill, to love or to hate. Nothing that motivates God to think or feel or to act and the renown of his name. It's an exclusive jealousy. When the law of God on Mount Sinai thundered and you know the earth at that time uh, rumbled and people trembled before God and then God gave the Ten Commandments and that was strictly to be obeyed by all people of the world. Now here are the first two commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 to 5, this is what it says. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not to worship them or serve them. And smack dab in the middle of this um, Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, it says, why is this? For I, Yahweh, your God, I am a jealous God. God is so passionate for his glory to be on display that he calls upon us to live exclusively for that. He says to us, only have me. Only worship me, only obey me. And this is why in Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for what? My glory. 
You, brothers and sisters, are created for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is the glory of God. He doesn't suggest it. He demands it that we live for his glory. And it is so exclusive that in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, it says, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Well, very well. <clears throat> we understand that. So far, so good. But this is high level. How do we do this? What does it look like to live to the glory of God. We live to the glory of God by living to the glory of His Son, Jesus. Then we come to the second point. First, God is jealous for His glory. Second, God is jealous for His Son. So when God is jealous for His glory, it's not separate from His jealousy for His Son's glory. No, on, what we mean is that this glory that God is jealous for is channeled and it's placed upon the head of the second triune God, Jesus Christ. That is to say that God passionately loves His Son. And so the glory of Jesus is the very glory of God that He wants to be on display. This is why it says in Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the very radiance of the glory of God. Now, if the Father loves the Son, then what does it really look like? Again, it's intense, it's mighty, it's powerful jealousy. Isaiah 9 verse 7 says about Jesus Christ, there will be no end to the increase of his government, that is Jesus' government, or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness for from then on and forevermore. Meaning Jesus is this eternal king who will sit on a Davidic throne and everything. I mean, absolutely everything is granted to Christ. That's God's plan from the very beginning. Now why? What does the scripture say? Is what motivated God to establish this reality about Christ? The same passage continues on. It says, the zeal of Yahweh. That word zeal is the same as the word jealousy in Hebrew. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this. Or how God's heart is burning with unquenchable blazing fire of jealousy for the glory of Jesus to be on display. What does this mean? It means that Jesus' beauty to be the only beauty to be admired. That Jesus' love is the love to fill our hearts, that Jesus' authority to be over all authorities, and that Jesus' supremacy is the only supremacy to be magnified. Sometimes I like to watch soccer with my son. Um, we enjoy uh, how people score games, but Normally what happens afterwards, many people, they just run around, and they point a finger at themselves. 
And they stir the crowd up and they say, oh, clap for me, praise me, glorify me. Kind of like that. It's okay to celebrate. I'm not saying we shouldn't be celebrating when we score goals. But they can they take it a bit too far, right? For those of you who watch soccer, you know what exactly what I mean. Totally different from what God's intention is. God is jealous over His Son's glory, not my glory or yours to be on display. The book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 8, it says, You have put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet. For in subjecting all things to Jesus, He left nothing that is not subject to Jesus. God is so jealous for His Son's glory to be honored that He commands everyone in Psalm 2, verse 12, to do homage to the Son, lest you perish in the way. Do homage. In other words, worship Him. Adore Him. Otherwise, tremble, O sinner. The volcano of God's jealousy will explode in the face of those who would refuse to do homage to Jesus. It's exclusive as well. And this jealousy is so exclusive that God ordained that no one will be saved except through Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must, uh, we must be saved. And many of those who follow false religions, you know what they, what they say when, when you begin to press on them and lovingly confront them, they would say, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe, right? All roads lead to Rome. What do we say to this? We say all roads lead to one place, right? And it's not Rome. It's hell. It's hell. Now I want to ask you a question. Have you thought about this before? Why is it that there is no salvation in any other name? Why is that? Have you ever thought, why is it that God ordained that no one can come to Him except through Jesus Christ? Another way of putting it, if I would be so bold and forthright and ask you, why is it that God ordained in His Word that all Muslims and all Jehovah's Witnesses, all atheists and all Hindus will perish in eternal hell fire. Why is that? Why did God ordain this? Well, you might say, well, because I don't believe in Jesus. Well, I, we get that. Of course, they don't believe in Jesus. But we're saying, why is it that God ordained that? In other words, why wouldn't God create a world where people would be saved somehow through some other means but Jesus Christ. It is precisely because from the very beginning, God is jealous for His Son's glory exclusively to be on display. 
He's determined for Jesus alone to be praised as the risen, wonderful, majestic Savior. It is his jealousy for the renown of Jesus' name to be magnified as the glorious Redeemer and only, the only glorious Redeemer. And that is what drove the entirety of redemptive history from the very beginning. And so, when someone comes and says, I don't believe Jesus is powerful enough to save me. I've got to do good works. Or he adds anything else to Jesus' redemptive work. You know what he's doing? He is provoking God to jealousy. And God would say, How dare you trample over my son's blood? Now you're going to feel the smoke of my anger. God, in his, whose name is Jealous, has ordained salvation to be exclusive only in Jesus Christ and not on good works. Why? So that for the rest of eternity, Jesus alone would be the only hero of the world. And thus, only his glory and none of ours will forever be praised. Amen. Amen. Well, that's the second point. God is jealous for his own glory. God is jealous for his son, his son's glory. And now we come to the third point that God is jealous for his people. What do we mean by his people? It's the elect, the believers. This is predominantly, brothers and sisters, what this character of God in the scripture is directed to in from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so it is very important for us to unravel this and truly, properly understand what it means that God is jealous for his people. You know, normally when we speak about the jealousy of God, it should trigger in our mind that there is a relationship. It implies that God has entered into a loving relationship. It mirrors a a marital bond. And that's what we find in the scripture. Right through God's word, God assumes the role of a husband and his people are his wedded bride. And it is in this context of this covenant of marriage, God's jealousy is burning hot for all to see. Now what I want to do, for the remainder of this message is we want to zoom even deeper into the presence of God and go um, further and understand what it means that our groom is jealous for us. Now, I want to be consistent. So just like when we spoke of God's wrath and God's mercy, We also say that in his jealousy, his jealousy is like a multifaceted diamond. It's not any different from all of God's attributes. And it reflects many uh, such intrigue attributes flowing out of his jealousy. Now, what does this mean? It means that we shouldn't think of God's jealousy towards us as like one-dimensional emotion. You know, like, oh, just God is jealous. 
for us. And that's it. No, it's deeper than that. His jealousy for us is, is, is a complex expression. It reveals more about his love, about his faithfulness, about his protectiveness, his justice, his perfection. All point to one thing, a deep devotion in his relationship with us. And it, and it carries with it privileges that we can enjoy as believers. But also, equally true, carries with it responsibilities. What we're going to do is we're going to tackle three different aspects. <clears throat> First, his love. It's a loving jealousy. Loving jealousy. God's love for us is as deep as the ocean. It's as wide as the whole universe. And we must not only believe this, but delight in this. Back in New Zealand a few weeks ago, I was having a, a chat, a long chat with uh, a dear sister of, of ours that lives there. And it was so heartbreaking to to see her as she was going through a severe trial, that coming out of it, she began to doubt God's love for her. She began to question, does, it, does really God love me? And she was saying it with tears. And it's terrible to go through severe trials and then you begin to doubt God's love for you. No. We must all time, brothers, always be confident in the fact that God's love is everlasting. He loves us and that, and that His love is, is like a gushing river. It never runs dry, constantly nourishing. We must never doubt this. No matter what trial we go through. Look to what extent... God has gone to save us. He sacrificed His only begotten Son for us, right? Who could ever fathom what this means? I think Brother Ralph in the morning was praying about this. You know, the eternal, eternal God out of His love would wrap Himself in mortality. This unchangeable I am. How is it that he would subject himself to change? Our healer to experience all hurts and sufferings. The son of God bled for his bride. He suffered for her. He drank the full cup of God's wrath for her. And that no matter how much we sin, I dare to say, we will never be condemned. Why? Because Jesus has become our perfect substitute. We must rejoice, brothers. We must leap for joy. Our bridegroom is jealous for you with intense love. It's a loving kind of jealousy. Well, this is a privilege we enjoy, right? Yet, in this marital covenant, what does God expect of us? 
Well, he expects us to love him back. It's only just, it's only right. He expects us to have our hearts to delight in him. To see him, as the scripture says, fairer than all the sons of men. To enjoy being in his presence above all else. God in his jealousy, he loves it when we're eager to meet him, to long for his return. It's a loving kind of jealousy, but it's not just loving. It is also faithful kind of jealousy. That's why he won't let any of his elect to be condemned. He won't. He will do whatever it takes to save them all. And while his bride would go to bed and would sleep, his all-watching eyes are upon her for good. He pledges to protect her, to preserve her. He never takes his eyes off her. He's so jealous for her that he would say, he who touches you touches the apple of my eyes. It is a faithful kind of jealousy. And in his faithfulness, he doesn't just request, but he demands us to be devoted to him. Right? I mean, this is precisely what it means to be a jealous God. It means that he will not tolerate unfaithfulness in his marital covenant. The scripture time and time again tells us that God views our passions, our lustful desires as adultery. And so he's intolerant of that. He hates it when his loved ones flirt around with the world. God says in Jeremiah 2 verse 12, it says, Be appalled, O heavens. Be disgusted. Look at this and say, yuck, this is disgusting. It says, and shudder. Be very desolate, declares Yahweh. So be horrified. Something that is so yuck in front of you. Why? Why is that? Why? He says in verse 13, for my people have committed Two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That's the first evil. And the second, to who for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What does this mean? What does it mean when God describes himself to be the fountain of living waters? It means God wants to be the all-sufficient, the only source of satisfaction for us. And he equally hates it when our eyes wander around looking for something else to satisfy us. No matter whether it's immoral, moral, or amoral. doesn't matter. Thirdly, it's a holy kind of jealousy. Now thanks to Young today, he gave us a quick definition of what holy means. I want to take it even further. What does it mean that God is holy? Well, um, for those of us who have been attending Tuesday night studies, we've gone through this and we've fleshed it out even deeper. And let me tell you, it is not just only separation. Yes, it speaks of God being unique. But in what sense is he unique? 
And when you do your systematic theology right on that word, holy God, you will have to come to this conclusion that in that uniqueness, it means that God is infinitely beautiful above all creation. Infinitely beautiful. I dare you that you embed this wherever you see the word holy God and then things will make more sense. Light bolts will begin to turn on. God is infinitely more beautiful above all his creation. Now, when he brings this kind of holiness into this covenant with us, what does it look like? What does it look like? For a holy God, meaning a God who's infinitely more beautiful above all creation, what does that look like when he brings this into that covenant with us? You know what it looks like? In a nutshell, it looks like he gives us all. Gives us all absolute, utter devotion to his people. It comes across as he's completely dedicated Totally committed to us. Wow. So beautiful, is it not? So when we say that God is jealous, meaning in his part of keeping that covenant, it means that he's pouring into us, into this relationship, all that he is. And if you think about it, brothers, when God wanted to save us, Was it only half of God that took on flesh? No, all of God took on flesh, right? All of God that purchased us with his blood, all of him that rose from the dead and ascended to the heaven. And even when he chose to bless his bride, did he do just a half-baked job? How much of our sins did he forgive? All of our sins. He removed all of our guilt. He gave us all of his spiritual blessings in Christ. How come? Because it's a holy kind of jealousy. He's an all or nothing kind of God. And so also he places this loving obligation upon us to be holy because he is holy. In other words, because he gave up all, he's expecting us to give up all, to forsake all, to consecrate all. And it has to be a fervent, undivided devotion to him. Let me be so audacious to say that God will not settle for anything less than the entirety of our heart to belong to him. Matthew 22, verse 37 says, that's Jesus speaking. The greatest command in the scripture is this. You shall love the Lord your God with some of your heart and with a portion of your soul and with a little bit of your mind. Is this what it says? If your Bible says this, throw it in the bin. Burn it. That's not what it says. Let me read it carefully. Jesus says, 
That's the greatest command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, let me qualify that so you're not misunderstanding this. This is not to say that we have um, sinless perfection that we are talking about here. This is, this is our direction in life. I, I understand how none of us could ever at any moment claim that he loves God with all his heart, all his mind, all his soul. If you actually think that there is a moment in your life that you, that you love God with all your being, Please come and see the elders afterwards. There's something seriously wrong going on. Okay? Now, I don't know what your heart is like. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I know what my life is like. And I know what the Bible says. And I know that there is not one single day where we would live without betraying God. One way or another. But... Let's be absolutely clear, brothers. Our failure to come and say that we cannot love God with all our hearts is not a justification, nor would ever dilute God's passion for His people to be all loving to Him. It is the direction of our lives. And in other words, this leaves no room for anyone or anything else that ought to occupy any corner of our hearts. He's so passionate in his love and his faithfulness and his devotion towards his bride and he throws behind his all of his attributes and guess what? He expects us to be equally dedicated to him. And there's no room to negotiate, to bargain with God, to lower the bar. As he, as he has given us all, He's calling us to give Him all. Well, <clears throat> as we come to the end of this message, we come to the most important point, the conclusion. This is when we open our hearts and let what we know of God begin to take control, to penetrate into our hearts so that we would change. So, how do we apply this in our lives? How do we apply it? First, we must confess. Right? We have to confess our flaws before God who is jealous. We must be honest and say, how many times have we robbed God of His glory? How many times have we added idols to the collection of other gods that we live for? How many of us placed our families? Above the glory of God. And others among us thrust into the throne of God. 
money, work. How many of us, when one takes a look into his lifestyle, it's like he's saying to Jesus, Jesus, please shift to the side a little bit. I want to squeeze in my family, my hobbies, my entertainment in the temple of my heart. And in our hearts, we bow down and we worship those idols. In the name of, it's not evil, trying to be a good dad, trying to be a faithful worker, I'm only just earning money. But in reality, as God begins to open the bonnet, and checks the engine of our heart, he finds leaking. There is a leak in there. We have to be honest, brothers and sisters. Now, why am I saying this? Am I saying this to discourage you? Not at all. Not one bit. And if you have been discouraged by this message, Either I failed to communicate to you the jealousy of God in the new covenant or there is something wrong in your heart. Something that you don't want to let go of. You know why this should not discourage you? I'll tell you. It should encourage you to be even more so grateful to God. Why is that? Because had it not been for Jesus' brothers who bore all of our unfaithfulness on his shoulders when he died. Brothers, we would have been incinerated by God who is jealous for his glory. Praise be to Jesus that though we have been unfaithful in this marital covenant with him, yet Jesus bore all of our sins. How grateful should we be? Now, if we reflect on this, if you want to be grateful to God, because even though God is jealous and He expects you to be jealous in your relation towards Him, we've failed in every way. How can we be grateful to God? What should we be, what, what, how should we respond to this? Well, we come to the second application. And there is a second point of this message that God is jealous for his son. God is jealous for his son's glory. What does God expect of us? How do we respond to this fact that God is jealous for his son? What does it look like when our lives reflect that God is jealous for his son? It is to follow Christ, right? where our eyes locked upon Jesus, our hearts are clinging to Him, and that we step by step, stride by stride, always following after Jesus, never leaving His shadow, constantly holding on to Him. We make it our direction in life to grow in our complete obedience to Jesus as our Lord. In other words... We are to boast in the fact that he is our master and that we are his slaves. That when he orders us to do anything, we follow his command no matter the price we pay. 
As our Lord, he, could, he tells us, jump, and we ask, how high, Lord? And if nobody's walking before the Lord, Jesus, he is still worthy of our walk, even if we have to do it alone. In such a way that even if our family members, our best friends are not following after Jesus, we will still follow him. And I have resolved in my heart that I am totally committed to him. Nobody's going to stop me from walking closely and exclusively behind Jesus, such that Jesus becomes the supreme being in my life. I believe that is the right application to the second point. What about the third point? What about God's jealousy for his people? How do we apply this in our lives? I want to try to wrap my arms, my arms around everything that we said about the third point and bring it together and bring to you one simple application. And it is in a form of misconception that we must uncover and attack in our lives. Misconception. Some Christians have this notion, thinking that so long as I don't sin, I can do whatever I want. And then they structure all their lives upon this thought. So that what do they say? They say this, so long as I'm not cheating, so long as I'm not committing adultery, I don't steal, I don't hurt anybody, then I can do whatever I want. I'll watch as many movies as I like. I'll buy whatever furniture I like. And if I can't obey the Lord's commands, because it's kind of inconvenient to me, you know, like loving the brethren or serving them, I just won't do it. That's okay. Why? I'm not sinning. I'm not sinning. And then what's the alternative? What's the alternative? I'll say to my soul, so, you go to church every Sunday, don't you? Well, you've got plenty of fun time, lots of games to play, things to buy, couches to sit on, cupboards to fill up with clothes. Take it easy. Bathe yourself in your comfort. Right? Brothers, sisters, the force of this attribute blows this conception, misconception out of the water. It leaves no room for kind of thoughts. Do you want to bring pleasure to the heart of God who is passionately in love with you? Let's make it our aim, not only not to sin, but also in nailing all worldly pleasures to the cross. I want to ask you a question. Have you embraced the jealousy of God into your life? Do you treasure it? I tell you, the heart that embraces this jealousy of God does not only ask, will this thing that I'm about to do, will it cause me to sin? No. But would ask, Will this thing cause me to be more satisfied in him whose name is jealous? Will it increase my love, 
my devotion to Him, no matter the cost? Will it maximize the glory of God in my life? And you won't settle until God in Christ regulates every kind of love towards your loved ones until He governs all your thoughts, all your decision-making, and the burning desire of your heart is, I want to be jealous in all my affection for Him as He is for me. That when even the closest people attack you, and ridicule you and ask you how come you're committed to Christ in such a radical way, you you fundamental Christian, fundamentalist, I should say. So you don't understand. What do you mean I don't understand? My God is a jealous God. He's jealous for me. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we come humbly before you in utter honesty. Open up and confess that we, even the best of us, have not met even the least and the minimum expectation of what it means to be jealous for you, to live a life of consecration to you. Comparison to you in Jesus and the infinite love and the infinite faithfulness. How can we not but fall on our knees confessing that we have more baggage than anything good? even the best of us. But thanks be to your son, Jesus, who bore our unfaithfulness, who bore our apathy and lack of love and lack of devotion to you. And in your wrath was poured down upon Jesus. In order for us not to be condemned, no, but to be grateful for what Jesus has done. Lord, would you please cause us to be jealous for our relationship with you as you are jealous for us? Would you cause your people to grow in their love and their affection towards you, desiring to consecrate their lives, forsaking all? And yielding their lives to the one who loved them so much that he died and rose again to grant him eternal life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.